Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Happy St. Valentine's Day. You know, my husband really hates Valentine's Day. Uh, but there are moments where I think we get confused with some of these holy holidays that have been turned into a secular Hallmark Day, and St. Valentine's Day is one of them. Did you know? This is really epic. One, St. Valentine is a man. He was actually a priest, and he was actually sentenced to a three-part execution, beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. Why? Because he was marrying people when the Emperor Claudius II had written an edict against marriage. I'll explain all of that a little later on today on Trending, but fun Catholic facts in the midst of a rather Catholic holiday that has been commercialized. We're actually fighting for marriage, and that's why we celebrate St. Valentine's Day. And on that theme, we're actually going to be talking a lot about sexuality and sexual complementarity. We'll unpack sexual identity from the perspective of the church in the midst of a sexual identity that the culture is really trying to redefine. Uh, joining me a little later today will be licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro, who is the, at the forefront of the identity crisis, but I should say the healing of the disorientation of identity today, as he works with people in particular who experience same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, helping them to come in line with their biological reality and the truth. Did you know that the Catholic Church actually teaches that our sexuality affects all aspects of who we are, both body and soul? That's right. The the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually says that. The human person in his or her unity and of body and soul, that's what sexuality impacts. Not just how I feel, not just my emotions, the whole complementarity of the human person. So that'll dive us into the whole crisis of pronouns today. We hear a lot about pronouns. Maybe you've felt uh, pressured to speak in accord with what isn't reality when someone's given you their quote-unquote chosen pronoun, or perhaps you have been asked to give your pronoun to what you say, what do I say? You should just write, this is stupid, right? Uh, Especially when it's so silly that we're even being asked. Um, But you Honestly, if you, if you, I feel like I should be able to identify as any pronoun that I wish, I should be able to say this is stupid underneath my name tag if ever uh, required to do that. It was actually really interesting. 
when I was uh, in the hospital with my daughter uh, just over the last couple of months, they were having me fill out all this paperwork for a newborn baby. And they wanted me to fill out all of these ridiculous things having to do with gender. And I just wanted to write in big letters, please treat my child as a biological female and don't take anything else into consideration because that's relevant for medical documentation. And we can't forget that. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're also going to unpack a little later about why it's important to say no and how it's actually an act of love to do so. Again, talking about the real story of St. Valentine, who was a man, a priest, and he was beheaded, stoned, and beaten to death. Why? Because he illegally married young people. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now joining me is licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro. He works at the forefront of this gender and same-sex attraction crisis in our culture, helping to... uh, allow people to live in line with their deeply, profoundly held convictions and truth and seek hope and healing. And all of this falls in line with the Catholic Church's teaching. Michael, welcome back to Trending. Howdy. Good to talk with you. Let's talk about sexual identity today. I know that you are dealing day in and day out with clients who come to you uh, for therapeutic services here in the United States. You worked a lot abroad with a lot of the medical research and data, and it's fascinating to see, as you and I spoke last time, about how really internationally, outside of the United States, there really is a greater understanding of the impact of this gender craze on uh, the individual. But what I want to talk to you about today is how sexual identity Uh, really is being redefined by the culture, but the Catholic Church actually says something very profound. And this one statement from the Catechism of the Catholic Church has stood out to me during these last really kind of six or seven years, really since uh, Bruce Jenner came out as quote-unquote transgender and was talking about feeling like he was a female in his soul. I'm talking about Caitlyn Jenner, but Mm. he's really still a male and Bruce Jenner. Uh, But the catechism said this, sexuality affects all aspects of the human person and the unity of his body and soul. So what it's saying is that there are sex characteristics at the dimension of the soul and not just how we present in our chromosomes or our anatomy, which is fascinating to hear. It is so interesting how the church penetrates to that depth, to that level, that where our body and soul are integrated with our sexuality. And I like how in the church's wisdom over these many centuries and thinking sincerely on this topic, it says further that everyone, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. And that phrase, like, I identify as, fill in the blank, has been co-opted. It's really been taken over by culture in a way that means something quite different, that is disconnected from biological reality. And in this case, what the reason I think it's important, Timory, is because for many of the men I work with, and I know women who have shared similar concerns because I have friends. Oh, we'll get Michael back there in just a moment. But what Michael was just emphasizing about how the catechism talks about how each of us, male and female, should acknowledge and accept our sexual identity. 
I think that in our modern day culture, this is a challenge and it is a matter of acknowledging and accepting our sexual identity, but it starts with acknowledgement and it moves to embracing our sexual reality. So we acknowledge it, but then we kind of get to need to get to know it. I think that um, maleness and femaleness in the 21st century, uh, people try to stymie any growth or natural function of femininity and masculinity today. And so in some respects, especially in homes where many people today are being raised with one parent or uh, maybe just aren't around both parents, there's this need to, again, one acknowledges the catechism of the Catholic Church talks about our sexual identity, but then get to know what that sexuality is, both by observation around us, by a deep dive into understanding our desires, our needs, our wants, our interests, uh, both individually and as a collective sex, as male or female. But then once we get to know that, we've acknowledged it, we've gotten to know it, and I think that's something uh, that we always grow to discover and appreciate. It's part of the reason why we should love discovering the other person in a dating experience because we're not just discovering this other person, we're in discovering an individual, but we're discovering what is other, what is apart from ourselves and the opposite of the sex that we are attracted to. And then third, there's this accepting of what our sexuality. So again, it's acknowledgement, getting to know it, accepting it for what it is, and then embracing and living it out. And I think some of the challenges right now in the 21st century, really from the sexual revolution has been that we've kind of isolated femininity, masculinity into boxes um, where we say, okay, you either like pink or blue and based on which one you like really determines whether you're feminine or not, or whether you like to wear pants versus skirts, whether you're into ballet versus hip hop, whether you like to spend more time outside versus inside. I think this box mentality of forcing women or forcing men into that box has created some challenges. There's a difference between um, exterior likes and dislikes such as pink and blue and even some of those generalizations we make about femininity and masculinity that can be more generalized but often sometimes can be a gift of an individual in an opposite way. Maybe a young woman was raised exclusively by her father and presents um, some extra masculine characteristics of boldness, that she's more bold than other women because of that. You know, different things like that can happen. But again, not putting people into a box uh, when we talk about male-female differences is important. Michael, you were just talking to us about acknowledging and accepting our sexual identity, that everyone is called to this as the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about in these important paragraphs, paragraph 2332 and 2333, which we'll post on social media uh, as well for people to look at. But I'd like to hear more of your thoughts. We're going to share a little bit about a friend you had. Yeah, I think I'm not sure exactly, unfortunately, where we left off because of me being on a tirade. I love to just go on rants. But whenever I was telling you about for men that I work with in particular, let's say somebody like a man that you might know, a friend of yours or a family member to anyone listening, let's say they have some disordered sexual proclivities, so same-sex attractions, which the you know church teaches us are intrinsically disordered attractions. That does not take away from their right and their call to reflect on the beauty and goodness of their sexual identity as a man. So your identity as a man is not compromised by the 
the fall by the imperfections of our desires and that goes for other for other men and women so if you're somebody that struggles with sexual disordered desires heterosexual desires that are disordered perhaps you have your own issues and and they're you know not in line with the church teaching things you want to do with your spouse or if you're a man or woman that has same sex disordered desires this is still not precluding you from this beautiful call the church gives us to reflect on and accept our sexual identity as men or women created in the image and likeness of God. Amen. And I think that that's where the sticking point is in our culture. Who are you to say that um, there's a nature? Who are you to say that I'm creating God's image and likeness? And even people of faith were offended by the fact that there was a commercial talking about Jesus at the Super Bowl this weekend. And that's how challenging it is in the modern day culture that even people who proclaim a Catholic faith or a Christian identity today don't want to live by a set of rules that are actually intrinsically built in to us as creatures created by God himself. Yeah, and I like how currently there's a lot of controversy happening out here in California because in San Diego, the Bishop of San Diego has released some statements about sexuality. I don't know if you followed some of the recent comments he made uh, in America Magazine, but I think he's talking about how do we reach the margins? How do we reach the people that identify as LGBTQ that are not part of the church, but want to be brought into full communion? And so there's a big conversation going on in the church around this topic about how do we both speak the truth, but do it in love. Well, one thing we don't want to lose sight of is there are men and women suffering like the clients I work with who want to follow the church and we, they deserve our support too. So people who maybe are at odds with the church and not yet believing what the church has to say on sexuality or sexual identity is for them. Yes, minister to them, reach out, evangelize, beautiful, good. But don't forget about the people that are already trying and are trying to trust God and trust the church and need support to do that. Because frankly, Timmy, it can be very confusing. I mean, imagine if your predominant sexual desires are towards the same sex and then you hear the, the catechism saying, you know, every man should acknowledge his sexual identity. That person might say, me, even with all these disordered desires, I'm supposed to accept my sexual identity as a man, but I'm broken. I'm a mess. Yes, even you, just as you are, if those desires never change, if they never shift, if, if whatever state you're in, you were created as a man and your maleness is intrinsic down to the level of your soul. So you have to accept it. It's part of your call to accept it, even if it's currently confusing right now or the desires aren't quite where you wish they were. And that's where I often think about how... Um... Although sexuality is a much um, more grave sin than some of the other sins we could talk about, that whole argument, love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, I might have a bad habit, Michael, of being a kleptomaniac and stealing people's things. And yet you as a therapist would try to help me come into reality with understanding other people's things aren't mine and that that's wrong. And I think most people would actually agree that that's a line they would draw because they don't want their things to be touched. Uh, because it has to do with them, they're ready to object. But people, what people aren't realizing is that we are saying that love the sinner, hate the sin with regard to this sexual disorientation that's occurring. But I, in some ways, I don't even think we're looking at it as like, look at how horrific this sin is. But instead, look at how confused and in need this person is while the culture is saying, 
that's right, do it, go ahead, move forward. But in reality, just like how a kleptomaniac is actually impacting other people, this sexual disorientation being allowed is also impacting other people and how we interact with one another. And that's another thing that stood out to me, Michael, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. When we dive into what the church teaches about sexual identity, it actually talks about how for the culture to flourish, and I think this is really important, how society depends on part on this sexual complementarity and understanding an individual's needs and mutual support and how the sexes complement and interact between one another and the way that that's lived out. Society actually depends upon this. And maybe you and I are an example of that in this conversation, for instance. So when we think about sexuality, sexual identity, and we're trying to interpret the church's teachings and apply them to our lives, you're approaching it from a female perspective, and I'm approaching it from a male perspective. And even in this conversation, we're we're able to get to uh, some level of depth and angles of the conversation that we might not have if it was only men or only women having the conversation. Not that those are bad either. We also learn men in men's groups and in women's groups, but there's something about the complementarity of our way of looking at this topic that I think we learn from each other and can further the conversation in a more profound way in that regard. It's interesting when you talk about that because one of the ideas originally behind trending was as we were coming into this gender crisis, I said, I often want to have, you know, a male guest to talk to here on trending specifically because we come from different perspectives on the same issues. And again, just as there are individual differences about men and their desires for things, there's a generality of the human nature that God has given that is so profoundly special. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier, um, we had a little St. Valentine's Day party for our kids. And uh, one of her kids was acting up and she talked about going and getting his dad who works from home to, you know, address the problem. She looks at me, she says, do you ever threaten your daughter with your husband? Like, I'm going <laughs> to tell your dad. And I said, absolutely. Actually, she's learned that when I say I'm going to call dad in the middle of the day, she goes, please don't call dad. Please don't call dad. <laughs> and it's not because he's some scary individual who's mean. There's a level of authority um, that is very strong with her father. And she recognizes that. Hmm. And then with regard to parenting, you're, you're doing such delicate work, nurturing their acceptance of themselves while holding boundaries firm for them. And, and with men and women and raising children, like you're just describing, there is this interplay of the sexes that both gets lived out in the children's lives, but also in the parents as they set these boundaries and support each other, mom and dad in the, flourishing, helping their child flourish in that regard. So yeah, that's very interesting. The way your daughter reacts to is, is kind of, I'm thinking, I know it might be sad for her in that moment, but it's adorable to me thinking about (laughs) her saying that. Another thing that stood out in what the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about with regard to sexual identity and differences, it actually talks about the physical differences as well as the moral and spiritual differences of being male or female. And what stood out to me about that, Michael, is that that means that there are moral differences, that as women we have different things that we are morally culpable for um, versus men and vice versa, and even differences in how we relate spiritually. Uh, I think that's very important to respect and honor and acknowledge that, especially with regard to evangelization or prayer or even, you know, things such as liturgical music even. Wow, that's interesting. I think it's also 
in that regard in terms of culpability, important to remember that when we're talking about men and women who have same-sex attraction, or in this case, maybe even gender dysphoria, meaning they don't, they have gender incongruence. They have a physical biological reality of a boy, but they have this belief or feelings that they don't belong in their body. A lot of these people, in my experience, have been through a lot of trauma and research supports mm. this. And so it's very easy when if you're someone that doesn't struggle with this to think, well, what's wrong with that person? Why don't they just get over it? Or right. perhaps they have same-sex attractions. Don't they know what the church teaches? Why would they ever consider doing anything else? Well, where there but for the grace of God go I is a phrase that I like in this regard because I don't know what that person has been through. And let me just tell you, the two strongest drives in the human experience, I think St. Thomas Aquinas identified these, were the drive to survive, to live, and to procreate. And if mm -hmm. you are so disconnected from your physical reality that the second strongest drive in the human person, which is to procreate, is disrupted in your life, where you're not, you're not truly emotionally and cognitively accepting and connected to your physical ability and desire to procreate, it is often, in my experience as a therapist, due to severe trauma in your life for many mm. people. I talk with many men who have years of sexual abuse, emotional uh, withholding from parents. I'm not blaming people here. I'm just saying, in general, many people have been through trauma that have this experience. So as a church, our first reaction, I think, is to have humility. What can that person possibly need from me to help them overcome this obstacle to accepting their sexual identity or integrating their sexuality with their conscience as opposed to a judgment reaction? Because it's often very severe, the, the hurdles and the obstacles they have to overcome to find their way back to that path. So we should be the wind in their sails and nothing else, quite frankly. And I was talking earlier, I think this is especially relevant, what you're saying, too, because you're talking about trauma and how trauma can impact someone to as far-fetched as sexual proclivities, right, um, and sexual identity. But then on a shorter, like, smaller scheme, um, you also see that these traumas from childhood, even a trauma such as growing up with one parent or abandonment from a parent, can lead to certain characteristics where for a female, she's presenting a little more of a, a male characteristic. Like I gave the example earlier of perhaps extreme boldness, right? Uh, it's one of the mm. reasons why why a lot of these young girls today are wanting to take testosterone because they're, they're feeling more bold when they take it. And maybe they're struggling with identity and relating and fitting in. Uh, and so, you know, when we see that, we have to recognize these traumas are impacting so many areas, including just everyday individuals who aren't necessarily struggling um, with a sexual proclivity or identity issue, but that they're actually struggling um, with a characteristic that is hard on them that might seem, oh, that's great. She's so bold, but actually something she's struggling with because of the trauma of her childhood. Mm. And yet that's something that we put into, you know, male, female boxes often. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And I think the key there is curiosity, compassion, because you're not there to try to 
determine somebody else's culpability, but you were as brothers and sisters in Christ trying to encourage each other to accept our identity as beloved sons or daughters of God through Christ. And that humility, I think, is really important in that regard. And I can't say, Timory, that I know every single person that has same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria has X, Y, or Z trauma, but I think a lot of research and clinical experience reinforce that for many people that's the case. And I, I, that's what makes me so frustrated, Timory, when I hear certain leaders in the church say things like it's not a psychological condition and we should change the catechism so that it doesn't imply a psychological condition. I would love for them to tell me where they're referencing there, there is no connection between psychological development and sexuality. Even in the obsession in the West with Freud, which, to be honest, the church has kind of rejected much of what Freud said, but his model of development was called the psychosexual stages of development, meaning that it's deeply rooted in Western psychology that what we do as children and the environment we're in impacts our sexual development. And so that's, it shouldn't be that controversial. I mean, everybody knows if you abuse children, they, it impacts their emotional and psychological and cognitive functioning. So why wouldn't it have an impact on our sexuality, which is so integrated into our personhood? Mm -hmm. it, of course, it might have an impact on that. As we're talking about the impact of sexuality, gender, and all of this craze of the culture, and we clarify what the church teaches, which is so profound and enlightening, and it, I think it's a sure guide to help us in how to navigate some of these challenging situations. I want to come back to talking about pronouns, because it's a question, you know, to use or not to use pronouns, preferred pronouns. So joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. We'll be back in just a moment. If you have a question, number is 1-888-914-9149. And thank you again for supporting us here at Relevant Radio during our fundraiser. It's not too late to still donate. RelevantRadio.com and the Relevant Radio app are the easiest ways to give, or you can give us a call 1 877 291 0123. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation 888 914 9149. Happy St. Valentine's Day today. It is a Catholic feast day in case we've forgotten. St. Valentine was a man, a Catholic priest, who was executed, a three-part execution of beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. We'll talk about that a little later on, why he was executed. It's actually interesting, especially in light of what's happening in our culture with marriage and sexuality. We're going to talk about why saying no is a good thing, and sometimes it's the most loving thing to do. But first, a question from a listener came in. Can you please re recommend or give me the book title of a book I could give my teenage daughter that will help her for finding a spouse. Um, one book I love from Jason Kristalina Chris Everett is How to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul. It's like 25 Secrets for Women. We'll post a link on social media as well as the show notes for today's episode, but check that one out. It's excellent. I highly recommend that. Very, very age appropriate um, for high school into college age. Also, just thinking about it, you know, young girls really romanticize the idea of love and dating and marriage, and they love to hear about it. They love watching movies. Some of them even love reading books. Why not take a deep dive with your kids into the great teaching encyclicals of the church? One in particular is Casti Canubi or Humana Vitae, you know, Humana Vitae having to do with responsible parenthood. Casti Canubi talks a lot about the different roles of male and female. I read Humana Vitae for the first time when I was 12. 
12 years old. It was fascinating for me to learn about the respect for human life and that dynamic within marriage. Girls love that, that romantic dimension of not just romanticizing, but really thinking and studying and pondering what marriage is. I think that rather than just focusing on uh, books and romantic books and novels and movies, this is a great way to dive into educating rather than diving too quickly into focusing on finding that spouse. Another book recommendation for married, unmarried, and even if you go through it with your children in high school, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love is a fantastic book. Even if you just want to work on your marriage and bring it in line deep, more deeply with the Catholic Church, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love is a very accessible book. We'll post a link to that on my social media as well. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. Michael, let's talk about a retreat you have coming up. You're here in Southern California, and you do a lot in the realm of mental health, and we're coming up on Lent, and you have a Lenten retreat uh, really centering around these themes. Share a little bit more about it with us. The retreat is called Healing Wounds, and it's on March 25th, right towards the end of Lent, and it is a Catholic mental health retreat for Lent. And one of the things that my fellow licensed marriage family therapist, Adam Cross, and I are excited about is utilizing the season of the church, the Lenten season, as a point of a jumping off point for looking at how do we bring our wounds to the cross? How do we unite our spiritual and emotional wounds to Christ's passion, but always in light of the coming resurrection? You know, I love, for instance, Timory, how throughout Lent, we don't even count Sundays as part of the 40 days of Lent, because within the season of Lent, we still celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. And so using this overarching theme, though, of Lenten time, the time in the desert, the time to like really be introspective and see where God is looking to help us surrender attachments we have that keep us from keeping God at the number one center point in our life, uh, Lent is a great time to do that. So we're going to go through things like introductory ideas on mental health from a Catholic perspective and also be reflecting on the way we can bring those attachments, whether they're sexual wounds or wounds around our sexual identity or wounds around trust, trusting God, trusting our spouse. So anyone is welcome that's 18 year old or older to come on this retreat and journey with us for the day. Excellent. We'll post the link on social media to this Lenten Mental Health Retreat in Southern California. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to catch that. It'll also be in the podcast notes for today's show. You can catch those at relevantradio.com forward slash trending after the show and share this episode of Trending with a Friend there. You can subscribe. We are wherever you catch your podcasts. Michael, let's talk a little bit about pronouns, to use or not to use. We've been taking a deep dive into what the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches about sexual identity and how we relate to one another and how important it is for building a healthy society and harmony with one another, that we actually live out those sexual identities and differences. But one area where we're starting to see an oddity in society is with regard to pronouns. And you see some places where they ask you uh, to give your preferred pronouns and they're listed under your name on a name tag. I don't know. I guess I have a kind of unique name, Timory. So maybe some people might appreciate that before meeting me. (laughs) Um, But it's a very odd thing. And I know many people find themselves very uncomfortable in the midst of that. I personally have a rule that I won't um, give in with regard to pronouns, but if you want to be called a different name, 
depending on the context, if I don't know you well, fine, I'll call you by that name, but not by the pronoun. But let's talk a little bit more about that and also the psychological impact of that as well, Michael. I'm wondering when this happens to people, what it does to their own conscience, meaning the individual asked to give pronouns, it doesn't even want to give them. So there's two angles to this or two sides. One is if someone, let's say, you know, a coworker says, I would like you to refer to me as she, her, but it's a biological male. The, the other side of it that, that really is curious to me, because a couple of my friends, Timmy, have been going through this, is what happens when your employer says they want you to present your pronouns to the world? And what happens if you don't do that? Because some people make it from the, let's say, opposing argument from you and I perspective, and you and I perspective, Timmy, they might say, it's no big deal. Just say he, him, Michael. Like, what's the harm? Well, when then I'm seeding, I'm seeding ground on ideology by forcing me to identify my pronouns, because I don't think that's a realistic thing to be able to choose your pronouns. You're kind of making me play the game of life by your rules. And it does feel to me personally like it would kind of violate my conscience to almost acquiesce to the the construct that gender is a spectrum and you can choose which pronouns you want. And a couple of my friends have been put in situations where they feel like they are pressured in a work setting to identify things about them like that, that are really creating this conflict with their conscience. It is interesting to see this conflict that is occurring for many people. And I appreciate that you say you don't concede the pronoun. Um, psychologically, I know that many people who have come out, um, what we call detransitioners, the many young men and women today who have identified um, at a time as the opposite sex and then have returned back to the truth. Often after uh, bodily mutilation and permanent damage from cross-sex hormones, they all say over and over again, they beg, please do not concede these pronouns. Don't call someone. I wish people didn't call me by the wrong pronoun because it was encouraging me to be confused when I was trying to discover reality. Yeah, and we know that a lot of research is showing a colleague of ours, Timory, Dr. Laura Haynes, vigorously reviews the research on gender transition situations for minors especially. And I I'm very concerned to find out that even social, quote, transitioning, where there's no medical intervention at a young age, can significantly reduce the natural desistance of gender dysphoria. In other words, if you call young people their preferred pronouns, you're reinforcing the likelihood or you're decreasing the likelihood that they will just grow out of it naturally. So there's real harm that can be done doing this. Now, in terms of the workplace, I don't know if I would go out of my way. I don't know what I would do to say like, I'm going to call you a he if you're a she or back and forth, vice versa. But I certainly know that my friends that are in their own work environments and want to just be left alone about it, it doesn't seem like that's right now a much an option. Like you almost right. can't just be left alone. Right. And I think that one thing that takes a lot of work because some there's the socially not being left alone. And then there's in some respects fear. And I hear a lot from teachers who are fearful with regard to being left alone legally in terms of being able to do their work. And what I say is if you really fear for your job and things aren't working out, one thing you could do is concede the name but don't concede uh, the gender, right? Don't concede the pronoun, but what you can do is just don't use the pronoun, which is hard, but to respect and protect that individual from encouraging a delusion, I think that that's important 
and that we can take that extra work to do so. There's so many times where we have to tiptoe around a conversation with other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is one of those moments where in charity and faith, and literally, I really do say this, pray to the Holy Spirit to help you when engaging with these individuals or when talking about them to protect you. And we need to pray for that protection and guidance to help meet the needs of this individual by telling them the truth. And the Holy Spirit will come through in those circumstances. I guarantee it. I've seen it happen time and time again in my own life. And I'm sure for you as well, working with people uh, in the therapy room. I love that. And I love that you're not trusting just on your in yourself. In that case, you're asking God to be with us and to speak truth and love like we talk so often about. In terms of whether or not I would, like if I'm in a new office party and somebody, they say, write your pronouns under your name tag. If you're afraid, the, the fear I know some colleagues and people have told me that they have is if they don't play that game, that they'll be outed as a conservative and then they'll be persecuted because of it. So you have to be prudent. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer in terms of whether or not I provide my own quote pronouns on a name tag or a form. But it is also good in those moments as a Holy Spirit. Am I being called to be a witness here, to not play this game, to to stand up for something a little more clear? Or am I in prudence going to avoid that argument for now and just write, you know, my biological sex underneath my name tag? That's too complicated for me to provide a one-size-fits-all answer, but I certainly empathize with people going through that struggle at work. Yeah, absolutely. You made me laugh when you said, uh, talked about being outed as a conservative publicly. I was at the um, San Diego Safari Park the other day, and they're all about um, a lot of in vitro fertilization and save the hippos and all of this. And there's a tram ride they give, and sometimes it's quite great. You learn a lot about the animals, and other times it's a lot of propaganda. And they're asking if the volume was loud enough, and I raised my hand because I couldn't hear well enough. And then I looked at my husband, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Might not want to hear all of their propaganda. And he's going, shh, stop, (laughs) be quiet. You know, outing yourself sometimes um, in the culture we live in is hard because there are so many moments where politically, um, sexually, there are a lot of differences that people have in our modern culture and finding the boundary for where we're being respectful versus um, showing honor toward people is important while still telling the truth. And I think that that's sometimes the hard part um, is that if we fail to simplify it to telling the truth, then we get confused. But if we think about it in terms of where is the truth in this and how can I speak it and speak it charitably? And like we said, really pray to the Holy Spirit. You will have the confidence in those situations and God will give you the courage even when perhaps it's uncomfortable to do so. But Michael, as we were talking about earlier, turning to the catechism of the Catholic Church with regard to this pronoun crisis, I keep thinking of the catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2332, where it talks about sexuality in terms of unity of body and soul. And we have to stand firm in understanding that at the level of the body and the level of the soul, we are either male or female, and those two match up. You can't split them in two. My body's one thing and my soul's the other. Uh, that we have to fall in line with that, and that's so important. Uh, Michael, we have a call coming in from Joe in Rhode Island. Have you do a same-sex attraction? Uh, Joe, welcome to Trending. What's your question today for Michael? Thanks, Timory. Uh, my question was, uh, do you see same-sex attraction as something that is changeable? Well, I think that's a great question. The first thing I would answer is just in terms of the mainstream. As a therapist, I try to look towards not being all or nothing with regard to secular research. So mainstream research from 
the APA, the American Psychological Association, including from well-known pro-LGBT researchers like Dr. Lisa Diamond, who has a TED Talk on this, you can watch online if you want, reinforce over and over again, study after study, that sexuality is fluid. And they define fluidity as changeable through, usually in their construct, through experiences and through life transitions. So while they would not support usually, quote, therapy to explore the fluidity of sexuality, they do support the natural right of an individual to reflect on and respond to their own sexual fluidity throughout their lifetime. It It does tend to show to be more in current secular research, more fluid for women than for men, but especially depending on life circumstances and motivation and spiritual convictions, it can be fluid for both. Now, there's a difference between fluidity of sexual desires and behaviors. So, of course, we are not slaves to all of our desires. So, even if somebody's sexual desires don't shift, they can learn over time by God's grace and through support, spiritual and otherwise, psychological support, how to respond to their desires if they have same-sex attraction in a way that's more and more in line with their conscience, according to the Catholic Church teaching. Uh, But for some people, yes, sexual fluidity is possible, and we don't want to limit, my opinion, you know, responding to your question, is we don't want to limit what God is capable of through both the temporal and eternal means available to us through spiritual and, and practical support. Now, Michael, you've worked a lot with reintegrative therapy, which addresses in particular the impact of wounds from childhood, Um, wounds from childhood, molestation, um, addressing issues such as uh, various issues that many people have from obsessive compulsive disorder, among many others, and how that can actually impact sexuality. And when those things specifically are addressed, that sexuality often reorients itself. So when people talk about changing, if same-sex attraction is changeable, can you speak a little bit to that dimension of the conversation? Yeah, and I think this is one that we can have with humility and openness, too, because the church has spoken through many magisterial documents over the last 30 to 40 years on the potential influences of the develop of same-sex attractions or homosexuality, but the church does not speak definitively on psychological matters in that regard. There, there's room for exploring together, but generally speaking, for many clients I've worked with and for also many people I know personally and in my own life, as I've looked and looked with clients at underlying factors contributing to my emotional life, such as obsessive compulsive disorder, like you mentioned, or trauma, many people I work with have trauma such as sexual abuse. As they address these traumas using evidence-based psychological practices like cognitive behavioral therapy or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or the method that you mentioned, reintegrative therapy to treat trauma, their feelings, desires, proclivities sometimes shift as a result. The shift may be more or less for some person or another person depending on a variety of factors. But the thing we don't want to lose sight of is hope and freedom. If you're somebody who does not have distress over your same-sex attraction desires and are not Catholic, you're probably not coming to therapy for this. So we're not advocating that you push therapy onto somebody who doesn't want it, but that we make therapeutic support available for men and women who have distress related to these 
issues because of their sincerely held religious beliefs and want more freedom. And the church, Timmy, one last thing I'll say is the church has a really beautiful story to tell and we got to tell it better. Meaning that the law of the Lord is the law to give us the deepest happiness possible in this life as we prepare for perfect happiness in the next. So we don't want to limit people's joy. We want to help find a better story, a more joyful and free experience of life with your sexuality, not a limited and repressed and a fearful one. And I really do want to share, um, I'll share a link on social media. We had a guest here on Trending who shared his own story of confusion with sexual proclivities and how his story panned out. But I just keep thinking even of a couple of friends of mine, especially having come from the dancer world um, where, you know, I've known individuals who have struggled out of nowhere with same-sex attraction and linking it to some trauma from bullying um, to also utilizing um, pornography and how that has impacted Mm -hmm. their sexual proclivities. And so really praying through and looking at healing wounds can often help to heal other wounds we didn't quite realize were connected. So Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. You can find him at catholictherapist.com. We'll post a link on social media to Michael Gasparro. I'll be back in just a moment telling the real story of St. Valentine and what we should be fighting for today rather than just the Hallmark holiday that we have. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. I want to share with you the real story of St. Valentine because it is epic. I mean, how this man died and what he was fighting for is incredible. But first, I did want to share with you some audio of female athlete who I shared with you last week about Riley Gaines. Now, Riley Gaines competed against Will Thomas. If you don't recognize who Will Thomas is, well, let me tell you about him. He competed for three years at the University of Pennsylvania and placed very, he didn't place at all, but placed very, very low if you look at the charts and how far out and how he did as a swimmer competing for the University of Pennsylvania. Well, in his senior year, he suddenly decided this six foot, I think he's like as tall as like six foot five, I believe, decided to identify as a female and to start taking cross-sex hormones and get to compete against the women. And guess what? This underperforming male athlete in swimming started beating all of the women. And one of the women he beat was Riley Gaines. She's actually known as one of the fastest 200 butterflyers of all time. Um, She competed at a very high level in college and Here's the deal. Will Thomas, identifying as Leah Thomas, beat her and many others out, even including female Olympians and national record-holding athletes. And what's interesting is that Riley Gaines, when competing against him at one point, tied with the man who calls himself Leah Thomas. But she was the one, you may recall the story, that was told to step aside since they only had one trophy. And the trophy for picture, for photo optics, was given to Will Thomas, who calls himself Leah Thomas. And she, the female athlete, was told to stand on the side and went home with no trophy. Now, this is fascinating because Title IX, back in the 70s, was really pushed forward to address specifically this, unjust discrimination based on sex. So 
I don't get why this is being institutionalized, but what's even worse and why I'm so horrified by this entire situation even getting worse is that men are being allowed in female locker rooms. And this is the story of Riley Gaines who didn't just lose her trophy, who didn't just lose her titles, but among many others has been absolutely traumatized by what the secular media, by universities, the NCAA, and all of these organizations and businesses are doing by forcing men into women's private places. Listen to this. This is Riley Gaines sharing what she experienced competing against Will Thomas, who calls himself Leah Thomas. In addition to being forced to give up our awards, our titles, not opportunities, the NCAA forced female swimmers to share a locker room with Thomas, a 6'4", 22-year-old male, who was fully intact with male genitalia. Let me be clear, we were not forewarned. We were not asked for our consent and we did not give our consent. If nothing else, I hope you can truly see how this is a violation of our privacy and how some of us have felt uncomfortable, awkward, um, embarrassed and even traumatized by this experience. I know I don't speak for everyone, I, it's impossible to speak for everyone, but I can attest to the tears that were shed on that pool deck by these poor ninth and 17th place finishers who missed out on being named an All-American by one place. And I can attest to the extreme discomfort in the locker room when you turn around and there's a male watching you undress while exposing himself. I can attest to the anger and frustration from these girls who had worked so hard and sacrificed so much to get to this point. That's Riley Gaines sharing her testimony as swimmer. She's one of the fastest 200 butterflies of all time. She competed against Will Thomas, who for three years competed as a man at University of Pennsylvania, then suddenly said he was a woman, took some or some cross-sex hormones, decreasing testosterone, and boom, beating out Olympians and national record-holding swimmers. She does not begin to cry until she talks about the experience in the locker room, and she was beaten out of major titles by Will Thomas also known as Leah Thomas. This is so sad that as a culture, we are seeing that women can be traumatized to such an extent, literally, and this is indecent exposure that if done on the street, a person should be arrested for, is being allowed to be done in front of women, making women the objects of porn by forcing them to undress in front of this man and making them consumers of porn by forcing them to stand there as Will Thomas calling himself Leah Thomas undresses. Where are the protectors? Where's the protection from women? And where's the protection for women's sports? We need better than this. I want to talk to you today about St. Valentine's Feast Day, and I think it's relevant to this whole conversation. Um, because here's the deal. We need to be able to say no. And I think saying no to men in women's locker rooms are important. We need to be able to say no to things that are wrong in a culture, especially surrounding sexuality and marriage when we are confused about what sexuality and marriage is. And St. Valentine is someone who said no in and as an act of love. St. Valentine was sentenced to a three-part execution. He was beaten to death, stoned, and finally decapitated. Why? Because he stood against the culture and said no, as the Emperor Claudius II wrote an edict against marriage. Emperor Claudius believed that if the men were unmarried, they would fight better as soldiers, that they would have 
they wouldn't be as concerned about what they had to lose. I actually disagree with that. We'll talk about that tomorrow on Trending. I'd love to hear your thoughts if you have more to fight for, if you fight harder or not. Um, but here's the deal. St. Valentine said no to the Emperor Claudius. He married people underground anyway. He didn't care that the culture, the media, the public opinion was going in one direction. He said no to the edict against marriage, and we are called to say no against men and women's locker rooms. We're called to say no to the pronoun war that is raging around us. We're called to say no to this idea that marriage is a bad thing, that we should travel the world, get exponential degrees of any kind, and work for years in the profession of our choosing before we can get married and have children. It's actually an act of mercy and an act of love to say no to what is happening in our culture. And that's what St. Valentine did. And that's why we celebrate his feast day today that has become a public holiday, a hallmark holiday, that most people have no idea that's what he fought for. True love and the gift of sexuality between man and woman and presenting ourselves and our sexuality and the gift of that in society as God-given gifts of femininity and masculinity. And that's what we're fighting for. And that will help people in being happier and pursuing their happiness in life. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Up next is Family Rosary Across America. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Have you joined me for a weekly Gentleman's Hour? This Wednesday, we're going to talk about a man's need for adventure and risk and where proportionate risk is in the midst of that and how the virtues play out. I recently heard a story of actually my friend's father who died climbing the tallest mountain in the world. Was that right to take that risk? We'll talk about that on Trending. So join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.